Hey guys, Zach here, and before we get started today, I wanted to tell you about a very important survey that we're conducting here at Animalators, and we'd really like you to participate. The survey is anonymous, it won't take too much time, and it will help us learn more about you, no matter how long you've been a listener or how frequently you listen to this show. So please take a few minutes and go to gradient.is slash podcast survey and let us know what you think. Again, that's gradient.is slash podcast survey. All right, now on to episode 24 of Animalators. Hey everyone, Zach Dixon here, and welcome to our 25th episode of Animalators. Curious conversations from the world of animation. Today on the show, we have the incredibly talented director, writer, and visual effects artist Seth Worley, based in L.A. Seth is the resident filmmaker at visual effects software maker Red Giant, and director and writer of short films, branded content, and commercials for clients like J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot, Leo Burnett, Steve Taylor, and The Perfect Foil, and more. His fantastic films have garnered impressive attention, including a Webby, Musicbed Judges' Choice Awards, one of Slate.com's six best sci-fi shorts of 2012, and have been featured on sites like Forbes, USA Today, Fast Company, and countless others. Until very recently, Seth was based here in Nashville, where we formed a fast friendship. Today on the show, we'll talk about making a commercial for Bad Robot, Seth's writing and story process, and some fun stories about encounters with J.J. Abrams. I'm excited to get into all of this and more on this week's episode of Animalators. Seth Worley, I'm so pumped to have you on Animalators. Um, thanks for thanks for coming on. Oh man, I'm so happy to be here. Uh, well, let's let's start here. I, I understand you are uh, what is called the resident filmmaker at Red Giant, which makes uh, visual effects software. So, could you tell me uh, what it means? Yeah, what what is a resident filmmaker? What do you do for Red Giant? <laughs> That's actually not my official title. Oh. Uh, I, I made that up a while ago. Well, I, that's what I say out loud because it just makes it kind of the most descriptive because yeah. we're a visual effects software company, um, but my job is to make primarily to make films with our software, um, uh, which is kind of an insane job that I get to have. Um, and I tell people all the time, like, I, I don't like expect to lose my job, but if I ever <laughs> do, I will not be surprised or blame anybody. It's like you finally realized you're losing money with me. Um, but uh, it's an amazing job. I've had it for I've had it for I think um, four to five almost five years now, four years now actually exactly. And they, I mean, we we have my job is basically to take to like I do we do films for product releases, um, and we also do these little visual effects uh, shorts and like little not really short films, but even shorter than short films pieces. We call film team experiments um, regularly for our YouTube channel. And then I'm, I also get to kind of speak into and give feedback on products that are in development. Um, it's a really fun job. It allows me to do a lot of different things. Yeah. So for people who might not know, what is what is Red Giant? Like what's their main thing? Uh, if uh, Magic Bullet Suite, if you've ever heard of Magic Bullet Looks, a big color correction, color grading software. Um, we also make a trap a trap code particular form particular like if you're a motion designer if you listen to this like you obviously know particular uh, inside and out. Um, uh, we also pluralize for syncing video and audio. Um, I'm forgetting all uh, no light factory <laughs> yeah, so the many. original yeah I mean no light factory the original the original lens flare 
um, software originally built by John Knoll uh, when he was an ILM. Yeah. Um, he still is an ILM. My God. Um, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> uh, a lot of really, really great killer stuff that I was using long before I worked uh, work here. So. So, I mean, you, you do a, like a lot of different things. I mean, you do, you write, you direct, uh, but you also do a lot of visual effects. Like, what would you say, I guess right now is like your main thing right now? Cause you do quite a, quite a few different things. Directing. Definitely. Um, it's like if, if I had to like survive on a desert Island by doing only <laughs> one trade, which would be a very strange and surreal scenario. And if this, if our survival relied on my <laughs> directing, we would all die, like just immediately die. Um, Dire- uh, but directing definitely because uh, writing is kind of came about by uh, ne- as a necessity yeah. um, for a while because directing was like my thing that I wanted to do ever since I saw I say ever since I saw Jurassic Park, but really that bug kind of bit me uh, on the behind the scenes from uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh. Uh, from seeing that essentially the movie was shot as an invisible man movie with like people puppet- puppeteering live action guns through a room and like and. Uh, trays that they would later add in these cartoon penguins carrying and weasels carrying the guns. Um, And so directing to me seemed like a really fun job to do as a grown up. And I kind of eventually realized in order to direct things, I need to have scripts. And uh, because I'm a control freak, I would write these scripts. um, And I've kind of developed kind of a, you know, um, a a pretty good comfort as a writer as well. Uh, Visual effects are definitely not like if I had to, only have one thing. I definitely don't think visual effects or, you know, the motion design side of things would be my thing. I mean, I yeah. love it very much, but if I'm only doing it for a while, I start to really, really uh, miss uh, directing and writing. But the visual effects side is just, it goes back to that Roger Rabbit, but really of just like, to me, like, I think even Robert Zemeckis who made Roger Rabbit and Forrest Gump and I mean, Back to the Future, so many amazing things. He has a quote, I think he said one time that like, uh, really great movies are never only a story or only spectacle. Mm. They're both. Um, that's me paraphrasing it, yeah, but I, I love, love that. And that definitely that. defines my aesthetic. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. So your, your kind of position at, at Red Giant is, is a bit enviable. You kind of get paid to make short films, which is super cool. I know. Um, what the heck? It, it's amazing. I, I can't imagine there are too many people out there that, yeah, have have a resident residency uh, to make films, which is which is cool. Um, but I'd love to back up. How how did you find yourself in this situation? How did you become? Where where did your kind of um, I don't know love for film, love for storytelling um, come from? Uh, well, uh, like I you know said so the. Jurassic Park was the big thing of like, I realized I was taking people, I was like Jurassic Park came out and I had not seen somehow not seen any marketing for it. And my dad took me to go see it. And I went into that theater, a boy and came out a man. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I immediately wanted to like, I see this as many times as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. And so I worked out this, this, uh, system where I would take every family member I had one at a time to go see it. And then I would, and I, so then I can see this many times as possible. And I found like midway through like the seventh time or something, I was, I realized I was watching the person I had brought more than I was watching the movie and kind of, um, audaciously like taking credit for their entertainment experience. Like, yeah. like, look at this thing I've br- <laughs> I have, I have brung to you. Like, are you, are you not grateful? And, <laughs> and, and it's that feeling of like that, the feeling of getting of providing that experience for people that I've kind of been chasing ever since. Um, 
So all through middle school and high school, I would be breaking video camera after video camera, doing everything from stop motion films in my backyard to really dark film noir pieces to like, obviously the majority of them were, uh, rip offs of the fugitive and us marshals. And, um, one of the films even technically stars Tommy Lee Jones, because we would take clips of <laughs> no, Tommy Lee serious? Jones from, yeah, we basically would, I would, the, I would film the, the way I would get music a lot of times into these, the films I would make, uh, after shooting them was I would film them and then I would, play them back on a TV and film the TV and then play the music from a CD player right next to the camera. And I realized, Oh, I could also like film clips from other movies and make it look like other people are in it. And we did that with Tommy Lee Jones, earthquake, earthquake two, I believe stars, my brothers and Tommy Lee Jones. Um, but, uh, <laughs> what a cast, so I did, what a cast. I know. Right. Incredible. Right. Um, and so uh, we got them for free. So, or like, you know, 1999, however much the VHS costs. So, <laughs> So all through middle school and high school, and then in high school, I actually got to do a lot of uh, a lot of programming for I say programming, but just like dumb little shorts with my friends for and that we would our youth leader would let us play at um, on Wednesday nights and stuff for the entire youth group, and that was really great to have an audience as early as possible to learn, you know, what we thought when what we thought was funny was actually funny to other people oh, or yeah. not. Um, and I did that through high school too with. Uh, amazing TV broadcasting class I had at Brentwood High School um, in Brentwood, Tennessee. And they actually just won like an Emmy. Uh, Are you serious? Uh, for, yeah, they won an Emmy for their, their TV broadcasting program. Um, I don't know the details of, they, the details of it. They did a news broadcast thing and they won some kind of Emmy. It's amazing and totally crazy. fantastic and earned. They have one of the best programs ever. Um, so I, um, out of high school, I went to uh, Baylor University for a year um and i loved it but i was bad at school and i also immediately started getting these jobs doing press kit videos for uh christian bands uh mainly at like essential records um which at the time was the provident i don't know the deal was essential these days but um they hired me to to, to uh, they flew me out to a couple of places and i would just uh shoot these epks for um bands like Cadman's Call and FFH and people like that and Barlow Girl. And I did um, that for a couple of years. And I liked doing that better than school. And eventually, while I was doing that, I started, when I moved back home, I started doing some more shorts and stuff on the side, more narrative stuff. And the, one of them specifically being a short film I made called Suburban Tumbleweed, which is a little 30-minute, really crude film that uh, I'm still very proud of story-wise and what we were able to do with what we did, but it looks terrible. Like it just, <laughs> we shot it with a Canon GL1. It's just, it's just terrible, but it's, it's online out there, if, I think, if you want to look for it. I know the trailer is. That's, that's pretty ambitious. Yeah. The problem was I, I, for the longest time, specialized in medium-sized films, like yeah. not like feature-length or short films, because um, uh, I insisted on telling like character-driven <laughs> stories, which is really hard to do in like a five-minute, ten-minute span. <laughs> yeah. um, but this is essentially like a, it was about this kid, suburban superhero who is going through an identity crisis when his older brother moves out, and my brother Ben, who now scores all of my films and is the star of many of them. He was 12 years old at the time. And honestly, the best thing about that short is that he gives this amazing performance as a 12 year old. Like he's like, I mean, he was 12. So he played the 12 year old accurately, but like his actual <laughs> emotional performance is incredible. Anyway. So that wow. caught the eye of my friend, Daryl Girardier, who worked at Lifeway Christian resources at the time. Um, and he hired me to do start, started hiring me in freelance to do these short narrative mini series for centrifuge and centricate camps. Um, 
that I went on to keep doing once they hired me full time at Lifeway in 2007 uh, to do any programming. Like I would do videos that were part of programming for all events that they put on, uh, including the Centricate and Centrifuge camps. And the fun stuff at that job was getting to kind of learn after effects there for these intros and bumpers for events and stuff. Um, and also did these little narrative mini series uh, that would be like these four, these like four or five episode mini series that each episode would be about four to five minutes, five to 10 minutes long. And the only thing they had to requirement was that they kind of reinforce the themes of the Bible studies that week. So we could be allegorical and not ever say anything spiritual. Um, and, and they played in the morning. So they were supposed to be fun. And so we, uh, we got away with murder with those things. I mean, we got like, we got, we flew to New Mexico to do this action what? adventure series. We flew to Hawaii to do an action adventure series. That's crazy. Um, yeah, we did these really fun little things called Adventure Now uh, that I'm still really proud of. Um, and if they were good, we would put them online afterward and, and kind of say their web series we made um, just on our personal Vimeos. But if they were terrible, they would play at camp and no one would ever see them again. And I uh, got to learn a lot of stuff about narrative storytelling and stuff there, especially when you're handed a a Bible study that's a thematic Bible study that like the first, you have to follow it, you know, in order. And the first day is like an entire character transformation. (laughs) And like, (laughs) you're like, how do I do this? Um, And so I learned a lot uh, through that. And um, in one of those series, uh, it's, we're almost there. We're almost a red giant. One of those (laughs) series was uh, uh, adventure now, which uh, caught the eye of um, Arn Rabinowitz at red giant. He saw, well, he saw this thing I'd made on the side for fun while I was at Lifeway. Uh, it was ABC did this commercial for this final season of Lost, um, where uh, they invited fans to submit to make their own promo for the series finale of Lost. Oh, no way! Um, yeah, and so I made one um, starring a smoke monster because I knew that you could do that with Trapco Particular really easy because it was basically a preset in Trapco Particular, <laughs> and so I made this little short promo it's online somewhere that, that basically shows the smoke monster like bored and depressed in all these like you know mundane mundane human situations like, like just on it floating on a treadmill or sitting on the couch watching tv or staring at its food like depressed and it was like on on may 23rd the only mystery left will be what to do on may 24th um <laughs> yes. and thanks and then Aaron had a Arn Rabinowitz at Red Giant, which, um, you know, makes the sales trap go particular. He has like a Google alert for all the products. And so he saw this and invited me to make a a tutorial for it. And while I was making that tutorial, he went and watched Adventure Now. uh, And what I had not known is behind the scenes, he had just recently pitched to the rest of the company. Like I want to make, he hates that he said this, but I want to make a viral film. Like I want to make a viral video, like a short film that stands alone that isn't an over advertisement, but like gets eyes on our company and on our products. Um, and out of that came a short called plot device. He, he invited me to do that after watching wow. adventure now. Um, and they released that in 2000. I did it on the side freelance and they re- released that on 2000 in, in 2011 in July. And it got an amazing response. Yeah. Uh, I got an agent out of it. I got the bottle water tour of Hollywood. Um, and uh, a bunch of meetings and stuff. And that led to a full t- my full-time job at Red Giant, as well as many other cool opportunities. Very cool. Ah, that's amazing. If anyone hasn't seen Plot Device or any of Seth Worley's films, now would be a good time to go do that. Where should they start? What's your favorite? I guess, I mean, I've asked you this before. It's so hard to pick favorites of your work. But, like, where's a good place to start? It's hard. 
thanks. Well, one of them, uh, I, my personal favorite, it's not the best short, but my personal favorite is a short called Form 17 hmm. um, that we made in 2012, I think. It's about, it's about a, a bomb squad, a bomb diffuser on Take Your Daughter to Work Day. Um, and I just, I love the performances we got from, we worked, had some amazing actors on it. I love the performances. We shot the whole thing in one day. Uh, it's one of the only shorts we've done where we got to do a lot of dialogue, which I don't get to do a lot with these shorts. And I, I take a lot of pride in and have a lot of fun. Uh, it's funny and has really good character stuff. Um, I also love uh, Old New, yeah. uh, fairly recent one. So funny. And Thanks, man. And uh, and then I, a personal one that I, I don't blame people for not liking because like you either love this one or hate it. And I totally understand both sides uh, is real gone. A short that I made for uh, for Ryan Connolly and Film Riot. Uh, why did, I don't why know did why people that, not like it? Well, it's darker than what I usually do. That's, it's that's also fair. it's got a kind of darker sense of humor, although I would argue it's like very, very light compared to other dark. Oh, yeah. Like, Come on. You know, humor stuff. Yeah. But it's very it, it's, I'm, I'm proud because it really captures the dark humor side of me. But I, I feel like I don't know. I'm proud of it because it's it's there's a lot of things I wanted to try and do that I hadn't proved that I could do to myself yeah. and to other people um, in like tonal stuff. But then also like I wanted to see if I could do a movie that was like dark since that was like dark humor, but optimistic. And I feel really proud that I, I feel like we did that. Um, there's just a lot about it. It's also one of the, I mean, Chris Adams just shot the living yeah, crap yeah, out of Chris. it. It's one of the most beautiful shorts I've done. Just, we just worked with Chris like what, a week ago today. So I was, I, it was that for you guys yeah. I was watching the, uh, the Instagram stories of it. It looks very interesting <laughs> it's like yeah yes and no i mean like the shoot i, I poor chris is probably the most boring shoot of his life we just literally put objects that's how i feel when i work <laughs> with chris i worry that he yeah no no this was much more much more boring than no it's like literally putting objects on a on a turntable and spinning them around like a hundred times so for this stop motion thing we're working on but, oh chris and i would do that just get together to do that without cameras <laughs> just, regularly oh, so love spinning that i pro- <laughs> promise you're entertaining <laughs> um no but anyways chris you're you're amazing. Um, Chris is a Chris Adams is a local DP here in Nashville. He's he's great. Well, he's okay. Easy, easy. Yeah. So you, you touched on something that I think is really kind of interesting. That I don't know. With I guess with a lot of advertisements, there's not a lot of um, I don't know necessarily like criticism. It's just more like it is what it is, and this is this is cool and advertises the product. And but with with short films and narratives, I think you get um, a much wider gamut of opinions on things. And and you just mentioned that like some people you know didn't like this, um, and I'm sure that c- those come out in comments on YouTube and and that kind of stuff. Uh, how how do you feel about that? Because that I mean, at least in my own personal experience. Um, I don't know. I put a lot of myself into these projects that I do that takes so much time. Yeah, I don't know. And like, it's, it's hard not to let kind of like who you are and your identity get wrapped up in these things that you make. And then if people don't like them, it can be really, really devastating. Yeah. I, I, uh, Ryan Connolly, film right. He and I, we uh, have kind of a, like a kind of therapy accountability friendship between the two of us yeah. that keeps us from committing suicide <laughs> daily. Um, when it comes to like putting on our identities and our work and our, and the response to our work, um, every, everybody goes through it. It's really hard. It's hard. Uh, my favorite quote, I have no idea who said it, whoever said it is brilliant. A hundred positive comments plus one negative comment equals one negative comment. <laughs> really? Um, it's so brilliant, like and true. Um, but you know, like going back to real gone, like that. I I, tell, I try to explain this to people, and I've never been able to. 
And it's the first short I've ever made where people would tell me to my face that they hated it or didn't like it, like to my face. Wow. And, but I, I can't explain to you why, but that was so gratifying to hear that. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I'm not. I'm not a very like subversive. <laughs> like, there's definitely a subversive and rebellious side of me, but like, it's not. It's a reasonable uh, amount. Like a reasonable amount that's not going to just take pride in other people's unhappiness. But like, yeah. I for some reason, I, I think what it comes down to is that like I am with that short more than a lot of shorts that I've made. Uh, well, not more. I, just, I can't say this about every short I've made, but I can definitely say it about Real Gone and and a few others. I am like 500 percent confident and proud of the work that I did yeah. and the work that my team did. Um, and I think when I have that, I could care less. If people don't like it, I still feel like I don't need, I don't blame myself for anything. I don't need to like question whether or not I should have done something differently. The really hard stuff is when you make something and you look at it, and you go, this isn't as good as it could be. And then everyone else says that or worse. <laughs> <laughs> like that for me is the hardest because you because you can't yeah. go in on every comment say because then you have excuses yep. you know what i mean like but when you have projects that you occasionally look at and you're like you know what i am totally at peace with every every any flaw that may be here because everything i really wanted to get out of this is here hmm. and it's in it's in the work that that's where i it's so much easier for me to take negative comments and almost like enjoy them yeah um Maybe I'm just becoming more and more myopic, and <laughs> uh, as life goes on. But uh, but yeah, it's. Um, I find that's just the, the the the. You can't really do anything except work your hardest and pour everything you have of yourself into it, yeah. like into the work. And and it's hard when you have projects that there is there's not any space or room for everything in you. Like it's not a project that requires everything in you. Um, you know, you can, not every project you take on is going to require everything in you and therefore will result in something you can be 500% proud of. Yeah. But as long as you pour as much of yourself into it and do everything and work your hardest to make it great, um, uh, you have to create stuff that satisfies you and trust that it will satisfy other people. And then later, if it satisfies you and it doesn't satisfy everyone else, well, that's okay because you made something that you like and you can watch it. That sounds so cheesy, but it's like, no, totally. Uh, and, no, feel like it works. No, and like that that is interesting because I think on on the flip side of that though is like sometimes with client work you feel like your work kind of get gets yanked away from you before you get the chance uh, yeah. to get it there. But I guess I don't know. Does that does that ever happen to you on, on that side of things? Because I mean, you do do some client yeah. work too. Um, you you do some. I mean, you've done a commercial for. Um, like bad robot and, and for star Trek into darkness, which I, maybe we can get into that next. Um, yeah, that, well, that was a huge learning experience. Like that's a great example of like client work. Like that was my first, that was my first real commercial, like working with an ad agency. Yeah. Um, and it was an interesting situation to be learning how to work with an ad agency at the same time that you are working for one of your heroes, uh, on, uh, a national commercial that is tied to a franchise you grew up in love with. Yeah. It's, um, it's insane. Yeah, it, it was, it was totally insane. And I think I just was in shock the whole time. <laughs> so I didn't, I wasn't aware of the mistakes I was making while I was making them. Oh, wow. Um, which usually I'm very aware of the mistakes that I'm making. Like I go to an effort to be the most neurotic, person and self-aware to a great fault but on this one i was just kind of like hey guys happy to be here like <laughs> like sparkly teeth skin i um 
I don't know what that means. I'm imagining an animated <laughs> me with like just fresh from the womb, like, hey, everyone, I am excited to be here. Um, that was an interesting experience because I didn't re- re- like, I-, I kind of felt, well, what am I here for? You guys have a vision for it mm. already. Um, because this is an actual crew, I'm only having to sit in a chair and say action and cut and determine whether and determine whether the take was good and try to get something out of it. And um, yeah, so so for people, sorry, who haven't seen it, just a little context, you can go watch this on SethWorley.com. Um, Star Trek Into Darkness. It's like a the, it's kind of a, a promo for Star Trek Into Darkness. It's like this it's thirty second spot. Um, there there it's on like the set of kind of like looks like the enterprise or something right we have element we have pieces from the enterprise okay. uh, like the chair and yeah. the control board but the rest was built from scratch by amelia brooke wow. uh, who's a production designer out here in line that, that's amazing um and then you know it's it's kind of got this comedic element to it you know somebody like bumps into the into the starship and and you know, spoilers right but um <laughs> so it's 30 seconds i'm gonna spoil a lot <laughs> yeah. But so were you, did they, when you like came into this, did they have like the full concept already kind of developed? Oh yeah, totally. Full concept. It was all boarded and everything. And it was like, okay, like, you know, I, <laughs> I, yeah, like really like it was, it was, it was bizarre. I was like, I'll like, I'm not going to say no to that. Yeah, like, of course. Of course and, and, and it was, and even if, you know, JJ wasn't involved, it's like a Star Trek thing. And in the, and the, it was, it was a funny ad. Like I felt like even if it was nobody asking me to make this, like I would say, yes, like it seemed really fun. Yeah. And I, it was a very fun experience. It was just, it was interesting finding my place, um, knowing what my role was and what I was benefit, what I was giving. Cause I felt like I was just kind of a middle manager. Cause literally after every take, you know, you say cut and you turn and look at the, at, you know, the ad guys and like, and make sure they're happy with it before you move on. And if you're happy with it and you say, cut, that was great. Hold one second. What do you guys think? Like, well, we'd love to have one more where he doesn't smile. All right, guys, we're going to do one more where he doesn't smile. And you're like, what, what am I doing here? Yeah. And it wasn't until, it wasn't until afterward, um, Stu Mashowitz, who uh, created magic bullet. He, um, uh, he runs, uh, his, uh, site, uh, his blog pro loss. He's, um, uh, total brilliant genius. Yeah. Um, he, uh, and I listed just a fraction of the things he's accomplished in his life. <laughs> he um, uh, he gave me the best piece of advice afterward about directing commercials because he's directed several. Um, he said, your role as the director is to, uh, is to remember that basically the ad agency is just scared. <laughs> they are just filled with fear. They are terrified that their ideas suck. They're terrified that they're wrong and they're, and, and they're, this is not going to be funny. It's not going to look good. And your job, and they're going to lose their jobs. And your job is to remind them of what's great about their idea consistently, make sure that it's great or give them better ideas hmm. in response, like in, in, in return, like in, in, in um, you know, replace. And I, uh, that totally revolutionized for me, like the process. I think that's, that's, that's kind of goes back to what we're talking about. Like, how do you pour everything, you, you know, how do you pour yourself into stuff that, you know, like, like on this where the, it's all written ahead of time. It's boarded before you get there. You're not around even for the edit. Like you're just, you're there for pre-production time and a couple of days of pre-production and then a couple of days of production and you might get to oversee one edit and then you're gone. Like, and, and the, the vision is already established. Like what, how do you pour yourself into it? And as simple on, on the commercials for me, I just hone my focus in on being the guy who is making sure the ad agency's idea is as great as executed as great as it is. And, and, in, and in kind of being a big brother, like 
encourager to the ad, ad guys without being patronizing, but like consistently like, oh, it looks great. This looks great. It's going to look great. Like, <laughs> like oh, no, it's going to be so funny. Like, and, and, and when you know your role and you're confident in it, like you can do it really well. Mm. And like the work ends up being better because of it. And by and I find that by accident, you end up doing really great creative work in the little details and little tiny choices that you bring out of being a confident person on set, making people feel good. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, and I love that. I feel like you're like that taps into something too, that I think for, for the most part, there's obviously exceptions, but I think like all of us are just like a little bit scared that our ideas are terrible and our work is terrible. And like, I love that. I oh, love yeah. that perspective on just like being the guy who's like, no, this is great. Like you're great. I wish there were more people like it's that. It's the best role yeah. it's because you don't, you have nothing to lose. Like you literally are, I mean, you can lose your job, I'm sure, but like. <laughs> you could lose you everything. But. <laughs> I mean, you could lose everything. <laughs> That's great. Because I'm, I am usually the, the guys, the ad agency are where I'm terrified. My idea is not working. That's why you like to surround yourself with other scared people. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, like take Chris, Chris Adams, for example, like Chris, Chris is, you know, I find that if I can surround myself with people who are constantly asking, are you sure this is going to work? And then you can, cause then you can just say, yes, of course it's going to work. And then you believe <laughs> it and then you make it work whether it works or not. Uh, that's, I'm literally just making that up right now. I, I, that's not a pre like determined thing that I do is hire people who are going to be insecure like Chris, but, <laughs> um, it seems to work out. No, but uh... Well, I feel like you bring up another interesting aspect of directing there is though like you have all these hiring Chris hiring is always hiring Chris just always hiring Chris is the number one takeaway from this. Um, But no, it's like constantly having uh, even if by yourself, but with working with a team, especially like constantly have people coming up to you and asking questions like, you know, is should that shirt be blue or red? And it's like, well, I hadn't really thought about that. I have no idea, but I need to give an answer so we can move on and do something different. Um, and there's just constant questions, constant questions that you have to have an opinion about and have some kind of confidence in that it's matters and is going to be great. Yeah. Um, that's, that's hard when it, when it, it, when it really feels trivial, when someone brings two things to you and you're like, I honestly don't know. Um, (laughs) Uh, because because the truth matters like the longer you take to answer a question at least for me the more aware i am of the of the silence and the waiting and like the waiting and i feel like every second that goes by they're losing confidence in my ability (laughs) to read them yeah (laughs) yeah and so i um you know I, i i there's a lot of tricks um I've I've kind of tried to uh, developed over time that don't always work but that's why you have lots of tricks um one of them I got from Francis Ford Coppola, not in person. My God, <laughs> I'm not that cool. Um, just like your week, your, yeah. your nightly Skype hangouts, just those. Yeah, yeah me yeah. and me and Franny Ford Coppola. <laughs> that's that's what I call him. I call him Franny. He doesn't like it at all. In fact, <laughs> yeah. he really doesn't. That's why we don't actually talk every night. Um, so, like, I developed several tricks for stuff like that, and they don't always work. Um, but like, for, so one of them, Francis Ford Coppola once said in an interview, uh, he was talking about how he is always thinking about theme. Um, and his great example he used was if he's making a film and someone brings them to, you know, several umbrellas or brings them like a black umbrella and a clear umbrella, like which one should the character carry? Uh, he asks you know, himself like, okay, well the theme of the film is privacy. So what, which one of these umbrellas says something about privacy? And there, I think the clear one says something interesting about privacy. So let's go with that. Yeah. And I mean, and again, that really is kind of an arbitrary thing when you get down to it. Um, 
but it at least gives you the confidence. And it's really what it is, but it gives you the confidence and peace of mind, almost like at, at worst, something to blame for a bad choice you make down the road. That's why rain is the best. Like anytime it rains <laughs> or something, to, you know, something that like, severely limits your options um, is the best because you and your brain have something to blame. <laughs> so you don't feel the pressure of making, of making bad choices. You're like, I'm making the only choices I got. <laughs> and so you can make confident choices that way. Um, theme is a big thing. The other thing is, you know, having a color palette established early on uh, things like that, like from a design standpoint, help a lot in determining things like just giving yourself a lot of restrictions and remembering those and leaning on them for when you really don't think it matters yeah. what, which umbrella to choose. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm also kind of, I have a huge ego. So when I, lots of people come and ask questions, like I take pride in being the guy who's, Oh, the clear one clearly. <laughs> um, but then I crumble immediately when I'm like, I don't know which yeah. one <laughs> you think they're like secretly. I can't believe you chose the clear one. That guy's, yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Well, that's the problem is I'll, I'm like, I become Michael Scott on set, like very quickly where like black or, or, or clear, like, hmm, I think the clear one because, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Clear. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And then and then I start making jokes that are inappropriate and just unnecessary. And then I'm fired. I don't I don't need to be liked. I, I want to be liked. I want to be liked. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not, it's not like this, 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 this insane thing. I have to have it or kill myself. Like my need to be praised. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the rest oh of this God. episode is going to be uh, Michael Scott quotes. So if, if it you, will just if be you the don't like quotes. the office, probably turn off. Now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, did you meet JJ Abrams while working on your bad robot commercial? Yeah, I met, I met JJ several times. Um, I mean, literally could not be nicer. Um, you know, his reputation is one of a kind of a Renaissance man of, of someone who um, is obsessed with many, many different art forms and mediums and stuff. And his company reflects that um, his office itself reflects that. And just him in person reflects that he's just clearly moving from what he's ever, you know, always moving from one thing to the next yeah. um, while doing eight other things while walking. Um <laughs> Well, the first time I met him, um, I obviously naturally embarrassed the living crap out of myself. <laughs> um, someone introduced me to him and he, you know, was like, JJ is a Seth. He's going to be directing our insurance commercial. And he said, Oh, big fan and held his hand out for a handshake. And I shook his hand and said, thanks me too. And then a pause. And then I said of me. Um, and then immediately in my brain, I'm like, I don't know if I may have said it out loud, but in my brain, I'm like, wow, no, no. why Whirly, you son of a, and I, he, he responded with humor and jest and, and was quickly on his way so that I wouldn't murder him as he probably thought I was about to. Um, he, uh, uh, and then, and then the next time I saw him, well, I don't know if I've told anyone the story. Then, um, I have kind of three main stories and the second one, I don't think I've told anybody ever. I was, I was, he has a, there's a workshop at bad robot where they have like a printing, they have a, um, letterpress, uh, screen printing stuff a 3d printer, everything you can imagine. Uh, and it's incredibly cool. And that's where I would set up camp most days, uh, in pre-production on that short, I mean, on that, um, commercial, uh, cause it was a good hub. It was right. It's right by the kitchen where people go to eat lunch or grab food or whatever. And it's kind of right at the lobby. So it's a good central place to kind of people watch because yeah. the people that are there are all, you know, amazing. And so I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm working and he's about to get in line for lunch and he just pops his head in and walks in and, wants to take a look at these sign printer brushes that have just come in that are sitting on the table where I am working. And so naturally what I do when I'm around anybody who I 
uh, am incredibly aware of their presence. I act almost hostile. Like I just act like I not only don't notice them, but I don't have time for them. Like I act really busy and focused on my work. And he respects that as a human being and is looking and is busy, you know, looking busy and messing with these brushes. And um, someone's talking about something. And my, my, my producer, Josh, was like, he brought up to me this joke we made earlier that day. It's a dumb joke, but we had been joking about what if we took the Star, the Star Trek in the Darkness trailer that had released that day and re-released it as a restricted version, like a red band version, but it's just Josh screaming the F word <laughs> over the course of the short. Um, dumb joke, but we said it aloud to each other and I, I said it aloud, repeated it to Josh as if naturally just to impress JJ yeah, and yeah. be funny. And I looked down and he has been testing these sign painter brushes and he has drawn in cursive the F word. <laughs> Just in cursive written the F word. And I kind of giggled, he kind of giggled, and then he walked off. He tossed it in the trash and walked off. And I waited a second and then promptly <laughs> reached down into the yep, trash, yep. picked up the F word and put it in my bag. And I have it, I have it framed. It's, it's framed backwards. There's another drawing on the other side that he did. That's what's displayed so my kids don't yeah, see yeah. that I have the F word clearly yeah. framed behind that. <laughs> um that's one of treasured possessions that I will I will I will treasure forever. Yeah, it's like look look at this piece of art I art directed. The artist is uh, Yeah, this is, is my is JJ, JJ Abrams. Abrams. Yeah. <laughs> I did, yeah, I, I contributed to this. Yes, I inspired this amazing this amazing. Um and then the third time I played charades with him and I had to wow. act out lactation consultant. And it was uh it was uncomfortable, it was really uncomfortable. Same team. He's really uh, same wow. team. He's very, very good at charades, like very good because <laughs> really? he's very good at everything. Yeah. And I have, I had never played before that, believe it or not. And I didn't know you could do things like syllables and like sounds like a, smells like or whatever. Yeah. 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 I thought you just like, have to. Why are you pointing to your just, nose? Is it a nose? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was not. I got. I got lactation consultants. What I had to act out. What? So I was doing. I was not pointing at my nose. I was. I was just making motions at my chest, and then baby like rocking motions over and over, and then half giving up like every five seconds, yeah. and then realizing I couldn't, and I'm I'm imprisoned here for eternity until until someone guesses lactation consultant, which somehow someone did. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was horrifying. It was just utterly horrifying. Uh, but um, this should be a this should be a reality show. Like you're forced to do embarrassing things in front of your heroes. <laughs> yeah, it was, they just put me with my heroes and make me play incredibly intimate games with them. Oh my gosh! While still trying to look like I'm really focused on something. Yeah, um, yeah that's essentially my life. Uh, it's amazing. Well, yeah. hopefully, you know, hopefully you're you're. Work with J.J. Abrams is only beginning. You know, your, your F-word painting and your, your commercial. No. Oh, my God. I mean, if that's the work, then hopefully it is. Hopefully it has only begun and has only ended. And that is, that is it. But no, it was like, honestly, that whole short was like, com that commercial, she was like a total blast. And yeah. I made like friends, the, the people that I met there are still friends, like are amazing people. And I mean, that was an amazing learning experience. Uh, it, I mean, not, I mean, particularly like how to play charades, like was a major uh, thing that I learned or how not to play not, charades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so I understand you are actually currently working on a project with puppets right now with um, a couple awesome people, uh, Joey Ellis and Andy J. Miller. Um, Andy has his own podcast, by the way, Creative Pep Talk, which is super cool. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, Luke Flowers. Luke Flowers is awesome. Oh, Luke Flowers. Too. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, tell me a little bit about that. Um, that looks super cool. I think it's in, is it in pro- production right now? Yeah, it's um, so Joey um, a few years ago kickstarted a, a graphic novel, a kid's graphic novel called Leaky Timbers. That is this property he's created. That's um, the short answer is it's it's the short kind of pitch for it is it's uh, about the monsters that can't afford to live on Sesame Street. Like, what does their life look like? What does their street look like? Um, and it's it's um, it's I love that. just brilliant. Yeah. Like, um, that's like amazing. The design is flawless. The, um, it's so inspired, and the the characters are each unique and wonderful and complement each other. And when Joey, uh, part of the Kickstarter, he also, uh, in addition to making the, the book, he also created these puppets made for the characters that, uh, that would host the Kickstarter videos and update videos. And over time he would make these shorts with these puppets and stuff. And, um, he realized like these videos have a life of their own as well. Um, and they're brilliant. They're really, really funny. I mean, Joey is one of the funniest people like his Twitter, his Twitter account is like one of the the funniest Twitter account on Twitter. Like I'll just say it now. He's, he's one of the, he's the funniest person on Twitter. Um, and so he was, uh, he's decided, um, he's working toward book deals, uh, with leaky timbers, the books. Um, but he also is now pursuing a, uh, a TV show. Leaky Timbers oh, wow. TV show, which is it's a that's uh, it's great. It's essentially it's a puppet driven show, um, totally in the spirit of Jim Henson. I mean, Jim Henson's one of his heroes, one of our heroes. But it's it's a very mixed medium. Like he's it's puppets, uh, live action puppets, but with illustrated backgrounds. There's all kinds of forms of, of animation throughout, and there's um, a very loose narrative structure to it. Uh, it's it's just it's really cool. And so, but what we what we're working on now is uh, he. He's putting together a pitch for the TV show, and he invited me out to direct the uh, pitch video, the wow. video that's part of the pitch. Very cool. Um, the cons, yeah, it's really a funny concept. It's essentially like, uh, actually, I'm not going to give it away. I, was, yeah. uh, I feel like I want to save it for people no, to see, but do. it's yeah. Um, but it's it's totally in the spirit like like Wolfie, the main character who Joey performs and voices. It's like Wolfie made this pitch video himself. So there's right there you can imagine all the different creative directions you can go with that and the restrictions you can bring to it. And um, I mean, like that was one of the most fun shoots I've ever been on. I you know you know about me. I'm really inspired by people outside of the filmmaking community and specific, specifically even like this. Uh, art this community of artists and illustrators that has kind of um it's it's come up on my radar over the past like you know five to ten years of like guys like matt stevens joey ellis don clark um you know yeah. andy j miller luke flowers these guys um yeah all, all uh, brilliant amazing. designers illustrators oh yeah. bri- it's so brilliant and you know they're on this list of people that i like would kill to collaborate with not kill them sure. i would kill someone, someone who wasn't important yeah. yes to collaborate with them, but if I could find a reason. And uh, last year I made a short called Go Bag and I found there was a moment in it where there would be a book featured and I thought, oh, I could, this could be an excuse to call Joey Ellis and get, and maybe see if I could use Leaky Timbers in it and then we can accidentally become friends and it'll be great. And <laughs> um, and he was super, he was, he was super into the idea of being friends. So we are, no, he was really excited about, like he, he told he let me use the book, um, and I think he was kind of like surprised with the short was was better quality than like a crappy VHS tape or like you know <laughs> a little thing like he saw the production value of it and was was and we got 
through that process, we got talking about where he was going with Leaky Timbers and what his ideas and plans were for it. And we, over, you know, over the course of the past year, have been talking on and off about like, I've been kind of like trying to like get him to, you know, let me do some work with him with Leaky Timbers. Cause I just love, I love the, the book and I love the characters and stuff. And, and then he, what's great is out of it is I got, this became an opportunity to get to work with more guys on that list of people that like, I don't have an excuse to work with usually mm-hmm. like Andy Miller yeah. and Luke flowers. I'm a huge fan of Andy's podcast. One of my favorite podcasts. Um, and, uh, and his work and Luke's work are both amazing. So it was really cool. It was like in one full swoop. I got to work with three, um, artists that before now I had no excuse or reason to work with. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. So I, I, I'd love to move on to some of the things that maybe you're, you're working on now. Um, one of which I, I understand you're working on a project for Kickstarter, possibly coming out. Um, I, I actually don't, don't know when maybe, maybe that's not set yet, but it's called neither do we neither do we, who someday, someday in the future coming out. It'll be probably early next year. Early next cool. year we'll probably kickstart it, but we've been, it's been in development for several yeah, years. It's called story clock notebook. I've gotten a little bit of like a sneak look, um, at our, at our barista parlor hangouts. Um, and you, you sent me some videos, but yeah. What, what is that all about? What is, what is story clock notebook? Um, well, as you know, because uh, we're friends and we talk regularly, besties. I did besties, best <laughs> friends. I did um, I released a product through I did this little training series um, for Ryan Connolly's store, for the Trion store um, called Writing 101. That is essentially me rambling for across several videos about writing and then asking for your money in return. No, it, and it is it is wonderful. Um, <laughs> though. It, is, it is your ramblings are great. So seriously, no, thanks, man. Go, go, everyone, go, throw all your money at Seth. Um, but really, throw it all, throw, throw it all it toward all. me. I mean, I'll catch most of it. it no, it was a very, it was a very fun project. I got. Um, uh, and I, as I've learned over the years, when you teach, you learn more, you learn a lot, you come out of it knowing way more than you did before you started teaching. Um, and a big thing that I, what's interesting is for several years, uh, talk, the thing I talk, a big thing I talk about in writing 101 is the, how I outline my stories. And it's not like a, it's not a process I created or invented, um, Several years ago, I was listening to a podcast that I don't think exists anymore, the Creative Screenwriting Podcast. Jeff Goldsmith at the time was senior editor on Creative Screenwriting. He hosted the podcast. Now he has his own podcast. Um, But at the time, it was Creative Screenwriting Podcast, and I would eat that thing alive. There was so much... You, you get great candid inter- candid interviews with writers, yeah. uh, with screenwriters. I think now it's um, now it's and, the Q and A with Jeff Goldsmith. So good, yeah, the Q and A, and just as in depth. It's really really great. And uh, a f- frequent um, guests would be uh, Alex Kurtzman and Roberto Orsi, who you know wrote Star Trek and Star Trek in the Darkness and. Um, co-created fringe they were i mean they were transformers mission impossible three um i mean i'm leaving out a thousand really great things no, yeah, like they're you know they were legends big guys right. yeah yeah big guys and obviously big guys in jj's uh career as well um they were it was an interview for i think it was mission impossible three maybe and they attributed this to JJ saying that JJ liked to outline stories in the form of a clock. And I've never heard anyone, I've never heard JJ talk about this ever, anywhere else. I've never heard anyone else to refer to JJ doing this. Um, I had to look it up again to make sure that I hadn't just made this up. <laughs> um, uh, and I found one thing like online that someone else online had heard them say this in this podcast. Um, but you think about it, you're outlining in the form of a clock with basically like, say you have a two hour movie 
your midpoint, your hour is at the six o'clock mark. So then your 30 minute marks are at like um, the three o'clock mark and the nine o'clock mark. And you basically plot the movie out like that. And you can see kind of where the audience expects to be at, at each stage of the movie in time. And for me, that's a great, I, that's a great visual because it, it's nonlinear. It's not just get from A to B. Uh, there's more going on. Cause like I kind of, I heard that and I threw it away and I just forgot about it and never referenced it for several years until I randomly remembered it while I was watching Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I paused the movie and I started just writing down time codes of, uh, while I was watching Raiders. And then after I did that, I went and kind of converted those time codes into like a clock form and charted the movie out on a clock just to kind of see what it looked like. And the first thing I noticed was, was fascinating to me. It was if you traced like certain story threads, like if you trace the thread of Marion, of Marion Ravenwood, when she appears in the movie, in uh, any any specific story beats and turns that she has with Indy out with any developments of her character, you trace them like like a thread. Like um, from one point to the other on the clock, you notice there is a symmetry being charted on the clock. Like like you can cut the thing in half or fold the thing in half, and it would look you know and you know what symmetry is. <laughs> um, like she it's she she would enter the story on this side toward the toward like the three o'clock mark, and then she would like. Put, be kidnapped and push the story or like no the crazy one is she punches Indy in the face like near the three o'clock mark and then she kisses him near the nine o'clock mark like on the exact opposite side and i knew looking at this like this does not mean or imply that lawrence kasdan sat down <laughs> and charted raiders of the lost ark out like a clock um but it does mean that there is like a rhythm and a rhyme to a well-told story um and how often we'll revisit a, a story or develop a, a story thread or the, you know a storyline, and, and how and how the, they're interwoven when they appear, when they don't, and how it develops at a certain pace. And to me, the value in that information, that knowledge that, that stories can be kind of outlined and charted like this, is in de- the development side. Because when you when you get an idea for a story, you don't really get one idea; you get like a thousand ideas, and you. You know, you get an idea for uh, an archaeologist that has adventures, okay? And maybe there's a giant boulder that he runs from. And maybe there's, there's, a, there's a chase with a truck. And maybe, maybe there's a scene with a temple full of snakes. And you have all these ideas for scenes and moments and characters yeah, yeah. and maybe thematic elements. And, you, and if you kind of just dump all that stuff on a piece of paper, you have it. Well, the problem is that doesn't just keep going. Like that you're like that that transmission stops at a certain point and you're left with just this pile of disjointed ideas and a lot of gaps and that's where a lot of writers give up um because you're like this is a lot of work and obviously i'm not feeling it anymore because god's not giving me all the ideas anymore (laughs) so therefore uh i'm screwed and i give up or i'm just gonna wait around until the transmission starts again and that and then it never does start again um and so what I started doing and kind of, for me, the process I've developed out of that inspired by this clock, you know, approach is y- you look at each of these ide- ideas you have and you think, and like and most of them, you can give a general guess as to where they would fall in the movie. Like this would probably happen. I mean, this helps just to have a good idea of story structure and three act structure and, yeah. and how, you know, how story is usually paced. But you look at this idea like, well, this feels like a third act scene this feels like a first act scene this feels like this so if you just just 
just guess, get it out of the way, drop like these things uh, for all intents and purposes, just drop these ideas where you think they would happen on this clock. And then you have a better idea of the gaps. Like you can see uh, this, the entire second half of act two is blank, <laughs> but the first half of act two is like full of stuff. Well, okay, what can I do in the second act of act two? What's like, what's on this blank spot on the, on the, on the clock, what's going on on the opposite sides of the clock that I can either build on or I can set up or I can knock down. Um, and you, you then have things you can extract. You, ha you have things to extract ideas from. And I found in my experience, the most disjointed and uneven stories I've ever written were ones where I filled those gaps with injected ideas where I would just think of something from thin air and just and kind of try to cram it into the story. Um, and the best ones were where I was able to extract ideas from what I already had. Um, Cause then they were organic. Everything was cohesive. Everything was grown from its, from, from each other. And so that's, that's kind of, I would say the short, explanation but i think i went for three hours no i love it and, um, and i think it's incredibly helpful because i mean we've talked about this a few times before but I, I you've also been able to not only apply this this philosophy to you know feature films and and you know 90 minute stuff you've i think been able to kind of do that on, on a smaller scale too which is a lot of you know what our listeners work on i mean the stuff we do at iv is like rarely over 60 seconds um but like you can still do a three act structure. You can still do like a hero's journey in these like shorter um, narrative pieces. Yeah, it's crazy. Like Ted, like I use it for. Um, I give talks a lot, and I use it for talks I give all the time. Like I even, uh, I'll do, I'll break down TED talks I love mm, yeah. into this format just just to visualize it and see kind of how they paced their talk and 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 how they revealed things when they revealed things and. Um, it helps to have that template to kind of start from and be able to visualize it that way. Uh, on commercials and ads, it works that way too. Even like, um, I mean, I would argue even like songs, like music, oh, I feel yeah. like you could even do that too. Um, it's So we developed this notebook. Me and Ann Fogarty is producing the project with me and Michael Lanier uh, has designed this book. It's a, it's a notebook called the story clock notebook that the front half of it is for research. The second half is for idea development. And so the first half is full of these templates on the left. Like you open it up and on the spread, the left side um, on the research side is on the research side of the book. The left side of, of each spread is a, uh, like a time code log cool. where you can log like you can be watching something and log time code and then write what happened there. And then you can, and then on the, on the right side of the spread is an empty clock, a blank clock. You can then just, you know, a circle with crosshairs on it essentially. And you can uh, drop that in there. And that's for basically watching movies, watching Ted talks, whatever, and having a central place that you're logging this research you're doing, which is valuable because for me, like, I'll watch stuff and I'll do that. And then later when I have an idea that's, oh, that's similar to Minority Report. I know I clocked that before. I'm going to go look at that and see how the story structure is. And you pull it right back out and there it is. Yeah. Um, the right side of the book is for idea development. So the left side of those spreads uh, would be, we've kind of divided three set the, the page into three sections where you have a big kind of overall idea pile section to be throwing your ideas. But then we have a little box for characters where if you think of characters, you can just be listing them there. And then one for themes. Um, because I find in my, at least in my process, that's a big, that's a big element to, um, to kind of find cohesion and find the overall, like we talked about before, a place to extract ideas from. So you can list themes in there too. And then there's a blank clock on the right side of that spread. But what's cool is on the inside of the book, on the inside covers, kind of field note style, we have uh, printed 
resources, storytelling resources like a general story structure, um, the Joseph Campbell character archetypes. There's a, a really cool thing called a page time converter um, because a general rule of thumb in screenplays is that a page of a screenplay equals a minute of screen time. And when you're researching movies and stuff, it, it can get kind of tricky uh, past, you know, page 60, yeah. um, having to convert those things. And so we literally made what looks like a, a ruler that you can, that on one side is uh, is time and one side is pages. Cool. And you can just convert back yeah. and forth. You, and then there's also like a, if I mean, if, if you've listened to this and, and just in, enjoy this type of thing, you also have like a whole video series where you unpack this concept even more, uh, which I, I found super helpful. So um, if, if anyone out there is listening, like loves this stuff, you, you got to go buy it. You got to check it out. Um, yeah, I've, I've watched through everything, I think twice now. So um, super Thanks, good. Um, awesome. So yeah, no date on it yet, but I'm, I'll tweet about it. Follow. Um, Follow Awakeland 3D, and this is the first. Twitter. This is the first time I'm talking about it publicly, so your nice. listeners are getting exclusive, like exclusively the very released first here exclusive on Animalators. Yeah, um, but that's awesome. Well, cool, man. I'd love to get to what you're doing and and up to now. So I guess maybe a good way to start. You you were here in Nashville, uh, lived here for quite quite a while, and then very recently moved out to LA. Um, could you talk a little bit about the move, uh, why you decided to make it and then what you are up to in great sunny California? Yeah, man. Um, so like five years ago, I didn't know anybody in LA and then plot device, um, was released and I got an agent out of it and I got all these contacts and meetings out in LA. And since then I've, uh, had kind of on again, off again relationship with LA and Hollywood and everything. And, um, after five years, my wife and I just kind of decided it was time to like our kids were at a good age to where they weren't if we got any older we would be uprooting them from you know friendships and stuff and so we uh we've moved out here uh and it's awesome um the main benefit of being out here we knew going in it was going to be proximity i mean you you could spend hours like debating whether or not you can start and and maintain a thriving career uh in the film industry uh not in la um and I think it's possible, but it's just, it's like twice or three times the amount of work. Yeah. Um, being out here, uh, I've already had much more productive and just satisfying meetings with people. Just being in person, you know, like <laughs> comedy by by comedy i don't mean like just content but just like me trying to impress people it does not translate over the phone <laughs> and skype like at all there's a, the strange odd delay yeah um people can't see that you're smiling so like being in person already like helps tremendously and then also just being just being here tells people that you're available mm. like if they have a sort of spur of the moment thing like they think oh i wonder if seth would be good for this i'm actually on their radar for that and the other thing is like and the main thing is being around the work and being around people doing the work yeah. um, and not being siloed. Uh, and it's still hard coming out here and not being siloed and keeping relationships going um, and making new relationships. But it's already been incredibly inspiring being out here for just two months. Very cool. um, the meetings I've gotten to have and people I've gotten to meet. So what? So what is your um, like kind of long term game plan? Is it is it directing features? Uh, preferably, yes. Um, I sincerely hope that's not all I do sure. is direct features. Fortunately, I know that I don't, doesn't have to be, but, um, yeah, like I said before, you know, directing is the thing that I would do to survive on a desert Island, AKA not survive and die. Um, <laughs> directing features is like, is, you know, I grew up, you know, at the altar of Spielberg and Zemeckis and, you know, these days of 
JJ and, you know, Lord Miller and, um, list a thousand other, other people. Like I, that's what I've wanted to do since I was a kid is make is direct movies and, you know, possibly write on them as well. But, but I know that I also, you know, there's a lot of, yes. The answer is yes. Zach, that is, that is the answer. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, if, if you came on the show and I was like, so do you want to direct features? Like, yeah, cool, man. So it's wrap. That's wrap. Um, <laughs> Done. <laughs> Um, let's see. So, I mean, you, you've had such, such great success, especially doing, doing short films, uh, and, and narrative work, um, which especially on the animated side, but, but even, um, live action as well. I mean, it, it's an incredible undertaking. It re- requires a ton of planning. It retire- requires money. Um, and at the end of the day, like, are people going to care and or watch, um, but yeah, I don't know. Could you could you talk a little bit about that and just like things that you've learned over time? Just um, I mean, you you've made quite a few short films um, and and they're great and and people do watch them and and that's I think a huge challenge to overcome, um, like getting people to care and getting people to watch um, that aspect. Yeah, like I don't know. At some point early on, well when Arne Rabinowitz first contacted me and asked me to do the tutorial for that smoke monster thing, I started that by doing, I'm going somewhere with this. I started that by doing, um, it's like, did he hear the question? <laughs> like, what is, what is me saying? Um, I started by doing things like doing it the way that I, I, I knew everyone else did who did tutorials, did tutorials where you sit down and you put a mic on yourself and you talk while you work and tell people what you're doing. Yeah. And that went horribly. It just went horribly. <laughs> It started like this. Hey, so the world here, and today I'm going to show you how to make a smoke monster. First, you're gonna, you're gonna the after effects. Why are you so slow to open? Yeah, yeah. yeah particular. <laughs> sorry, I'm. So what I just did for the past three hours is I adjusted, and literally that good. Like I learned, I realized very quickly this is not going to work. So I also realized very quickly I didn't know what I was doing. That I had completely like just groped around in the dark until I made a smoke monster. And so I decided my first priority was going to be wasting as little of people's time as possible Mm. um, and moving as fast as I could. So no one could tell that I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) Um, And so I like recorded, I I, I just screen captured myself doing the work. And then I dropped that into a timeline to only use the key integral parts, even like ramped up the speed. And then I talked over it. And just recorded my voice talking over, just narrating what I was watching it, and then s- cut stuff out of that and sped it up. And literally, you watch it; it's like you watch like an Andrew Kramer tutorial, and who, by the way, he's amazing; he's one of the best. Yeah. And then you watch my watch my Smoke Monster tutorial; it's like it's like this guy was doing cocaine while <laughs> Kramer was recording his, and then came and sat down and recorded. Like it's it's crazy, but it got a really great response because people love cocaine. Yeah. No, because people. Like, because people don't like their time being wasted. Yeah. And um, by the way, I'm not implying that Kramer wastes people's time. Kramer is one of the, one of the few people who's able to do it without making, without wasting your time. Um, I like, and cannot do that. And so I, that's kind of the philosophy. That's kind of the approach I take on anything I do is to assume that nobody cares. Like <laughs> nobody cares. And I found the worst thing you can do is assume right off the bat that everyone will care. Yeah. Um, you can take that too far, obviously, sure. And, and just never believe that anyone will care because you have to have a certain degree of aud- audacity to believe that what you're doing is going to be interesting to other people. Um, 
But I think when you're when you realize that people don't care, you're you're kind of realizing that you wouldn't care if you saw this um, without context. And so the, the the trick then is getting it to become something that you would care about if you were coming into it. If you like, would you really click on it? And I'm not successful at that 100 percent of the time, but it, it has to, to to gauge whether or not you know. I feel like people would care, or you know, and starting with the idea that no one does. Um, and the other thing is like, really, like I was saying, like you have to care about it. Hmm. Like personally, it ha- like, God, the worst things that I've made have been the things that I've made kind of trying to give people what I think they want. And Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's partly why I've been so bad at pitching ideas out here so far is because if whenever I've been presented with like I've had some really cool opportunities to pitch on some really cool prop, like on um, ideas within really cool properties and IPs. And I, and I bombed them mm. all horribly because you know how, like when you, um, when you do, sometimes you'll do visual effects for somebody else or you do like motion graphic, like you'll do like motion graphic stuff for someone else just for their project. You're not directing it. They ask you to do some titles or something and you'll, they'll ask you for something. They have a very specific kind of vision for it and you'll get it and you'll just do the bare minimum, like their vision, and you really won't take any liberties and kind of take it to a place where if you've, otherwise, if you were doing it, you would have no problem pushing it beyond that to something better. That's often your, like the work you're least proud of and the work that kind of impresses people the least and people respond to the least. And it's because you're not pouring, you're not putting yourself into it. And I think Sam um, Mendez said one time, whenever you're taking on a project, you have to have a way in. If you can't find a way in personal way in, like, like whether it has to do with, Oh, this story is really about a broken family. And I come from a broken family. That's my way in. Or Mm -hmm. this reminds me of the time when I was a kid and I had to go see a psychiatrist and he told me this, Mm -hmm. like you have to have a way in to everything in order for you to be able to own it and make it and, and and really do it right. And so getting back to it is like, the worst things that the things that I've made that have gotten the least response from people having the things I've made that have, that I've been doing kind of what I thought they would want or think were, was good that I thought would be successful. Yeah. No. And I, and you, you said this well, like, a, I don't know, a few seconds back, but like, I, I love that. Like, as soon as you start to your, your goal becomes to please someone else and not like your own taste and sensibilities. I think like you lose something special and like, I think it helps it like makes you lose that almost drive to succeed in yourself. Cause like, I don't know. Well, yeah, and it's yeah. So, it's so funny, like you know, talking about that, like the metaphors of like the motion design thing of like someone gives you, someone hires you to do titles for them, and you do titles for them. You don't yeah. do any titles for you with it. They're hiring you because they've seen work you've done that you've made for you, yeah. um, and you've got to at least try to give them something you would do. There's obviously, obviously you can be wrong and that sure. can go horribly awry yeah. and they can also not be open to it. But I mean, you owe it to yourself and to them to at the very least try to make it your own yeah. at the beginning. Um, at least that's from my limited experience what I've learned. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Well, okay. So we end each episode with just a few of the same questions. Um, so the first being, um, who is your dream client? And I mean, if bad robot is it, that is a very fair answer. Who is my big client? Yeah, who's, who's the dream? Like if you work for anybody or work on any franchise or, or even type of project project, like what is the ideal project? Oh man, I'm going to ramble so long trying to figure <laughs> out what my answer to this is. 
Well, you know, like, cause I, I feel like I've been so freaking fortunate. Like I've lived like a Forrest Gump life so far <laughs> where I have just stumbled into my dream jobs one after the other. Um, and I think what really helps me, what I think what kind of contributes to that is, is that I've inadvertently kind of set, they're not small goals. Like they're, they're audacious things to like want to work with bad robot or things like that. But like things like work with someone like Joey Ellis, Andy Miller, Luke flowers. Um, I have all my little goals are these little things like that, like things that are kind of within reach. And it's like, I want to work with those people. It'd be really cool if I could make that happen. Yeah. Um, I'm also such an annoying realist and that I'm like, if I did work with them, it probably wouldn't be what I want. And what I really want is what I don't know what I want. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, I mean, I think they're going to need a director for, you know, star Wars 12 or something. I mean, it's for 12. Once everyone is done <laughs> and sick of it, they'll need someone. No, you know, you're looking for the Pixar answer. Um, the answer that everyone else you've had has probably said Pixar. I, uh, I'm not the first to say this, but I think my dream client is myself. Uh, that's not implying that like any kind of, you know, isolation or <laughs> like dominance or anything like that. It's split personality. It's completely like a, it's com yeah, no, I mean, it's like, situation. I think it's, it's a very lonely place probably at the top, but I think, yeah, yeah five club situation. My dream <laughs> job is my schizophrenic <laughs> creation of myself. Uh, yes, totally. Is that not everyone's? Um, I'd love for my life to continue going the way it's going, where I just get, keep getting one disgustingly amazing <laughs> opportunity after the other and keep getting to brush like shoulders with my heroes, Forrest Gump style. It, it's just been really amazing uh, up to this point, and I hope it doesn't stop. Um, but I love working. I, I love, you know, I love getting to work for JJ. I would love to work for JJ again. Um, I would love to work with. Um, uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller are two guys that I, uh, whose work I adore and I, uh, it resonates with me a whole lot. And I find is very in line with kind of my sensibilities as well. Um, cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Ne next question. Uh, your favorite animated film, favorite animated film. I mean, uh, the Incredibles is probably hands down my favorite. Animated Mr. Film. Bird. I, cr like, so I, good. I, cr I cry at the Incredibles in moments that you're not supposed to cry <laughs> at. Like, it's just that I mean, it's like I loved it when it first came out, but uh, once I had kids, that Dolly Zoom is so amazing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, no, but for me, it's once I had kids, it was oh, like yeah. everything in it resonated with me. Every it's such a if you have a family and have ever had to work like a, a normal job, which you should, everyone should have to work a normal job at least for some period of their life. You watch that movie and you just want to weep. It's just so saturated mm -hmm. with character and emotion and like and, and themes that resonate on a personal level. Um, behind that, though, Toy the original Toy Story is just such a. It's just this stick of dynamite of a movie. Yeah. Like it's it's so tight and compact and and like packed to the brim with inspiration and. Uh, story and character and like in the, I don't know, I've, I've like <laughs> ripped apart that entire movie and that entire, like the entire Pixar story yeah. and everybody in it. It's, have you um, done, I just thought, have you done a lot of the clock? Have you clocked a lot of uh, like Incredibles or Toy Story? Yeah. And Toy Story, Toy Story is one that's a lot like um, Toy Story and Back to the Future and Shaun of the Dead. Those three movies, what do they have in common? <laughs> They've really, um, they front load. They're very front loaded huh. movie. They're very, um, 
long first acts. And now it's debatable where the first act really starts for each of those movies. But to me, I determine it on uh, a character making a choice, like the, the main character making a choice that kind of, insights the rest of the movie the character stops reacting and acts in some mm. way and so yeah toy story has a kind of a front-loaded front movie but you know that movie feels like it starts and just doesn't stop it just keeps going and a lot of it is because the information it's giving you is so fun like it's such fun information yeah, yeah. it's giving you right at the beginning so then once the story starts moving once once but woody decides to push yep. buzz out the window yeah, that's what i was gonna say um yeah. and it's pretty kind of late in the game not late in the game but for for most three-act structures then you have less time to tell the rest of your story. So it's going to move quicker by nature. Back to the future is the same way. I mean, once, once that movie gets going and once, you know, he chooses to follow his dad, suddenly the movie just doesn't stop. It's it's just moving like crazy. Anyway. uh, Well, no. And, and that's something that you've, you've talked about, like we've talked about before. And like, also going back to like what we were talking about with like, why should people care is like, like you seem very, very attracted to like things that like, they they get you and then they never never let you go. They kind of keep going um, after they've grabbed you and they they grab you quick. Um, yeah, and I think like all the the films that you just mentioned like do that really well. All right, next question: What do the people you love think that you do for a living? Do you have do you have any good stories on that one? Um, my son thinks I make movies. That's good. He knows that I make. Well, he's really now into Minecraft tutorials oh. and stuff, so he. As a general idea of what I do online, he's really weirded out and doesn't think it's very cool when people will recognize me <laughs> oh, on the street. Yeah, he doesn't. And believe it or not, that actually does happen despite all human expectations. Do you, do you remember I, I did that to you one time? You, was that you? I thought it was Sam. No, no, no. It was you me. did that? Out, the outside of the pharmacy yeah i was like i totally remember that but we had met before so it's not super weird <laughs> that's like we true had met at, at that's true. Before. Um, I, I didn't assume that you had remembered that though i was like i was like standing there talking i was like you were as you were walking by and within your side i was like yeah you're seth worley don't don't do not no, i'm not gonna say it these are recording there's an accident it could end up being in there i'll tell i think i've told you this before i'll tell you a funny element of that story okay when we're not recording okay it's not okay. that interesting i just don't want it accidentally being released <laughs> i was drunk i was just so dr- no um uh no so you weren't wearing a shirt i was very confused yeah but, i don't know if yeah. you noticed but i wasn't wearing a shirt <laughs> Um, the, uh, that used to be my Twitter bio. I can look at anyone and tell immediately whether or not they're wearing a shirt. <laughs> it was the stupidest joke that I still am proud of enough to tell you on a podcast. Um, everyone kind of knows what I, what I, what I do, but they, they knows what it does, but they're, everyone kind of has their own idea of what I'm better at, like what I'm best at. Oh yeah. Um, like I have family, member, family members that think that see my work and think that I am an amazing editor, and that is what's amazing mm. about what I do, and that yeah. and that that's all I should do without knowing, without knowing everything that I actually did and you know the thing. And so they look at something, oh, it's really well paced, or it you know moves with the music. Therefore, it's because I'm a great editor, which is a huge compliment. Sure, but yeah. it's also like screw you, I'm a director. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I just make movies and videos for things. I think my, 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 my kids think I do bigger deal stuff than before. Like I did a lip, I did a commercial for Lipscomb's film program a few years ago with Steve Taylor Yeah, and, and that they, and Lipscomb actually got that on like the rotation of ads that played before Carmike movies at Carmike cinemas. Oh, nice. um, wow. Yeah, so cool. when I took my son to see a movie and that commercial comes on, he was like, you made this for theaters. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, I'm like, technically, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah theaters. Yeah. 
um same the star trek one was that too that played in the end too so that was in the theater too wow Um, that's awesome i try to make sure that everyone i love thinks i'm a bigger deal than i really am it doesn't work (laughs) they don't they don't believe it ever but i try Um, all right last question what did you make for your animalator gif and why I made this was fun. I wish I wish I got to do this more often. I made a jogging Lego somewhat version of myself, but he looks more like eight other people than I know. Um, <laughs> it's just basically a hat, glasses, and beard stubble, which does not narrow me down into person. But I recently had an excuse and reason to kind of throw together some pitch material for some Lego related um, ideas. And, cool. uh, they're, it, it's, they're not materializing in anything, but it was a very fun meeting and a very cool excuse to go and kind of explore, uh, making some Lego imagery, uh, using, I used element 3d, uh, and some, I, I bought a couple models on turbo squid and then just like hacked the living hell out of them. Yeah. Um, and their textures. Uh, and I made some really cool, like, uh, Ambliny Stranger Things looking kind of uh, images uh, nice. on one end, and then yeah. some kind of a kind of Mad Max kind of vibe on another one. Um, and I found that it's really fun uh, animating and staging scenes with Legos, like in 3D Legos. Um, and so I decided to make this running person. And what's fun about this was I got to try. So I, the imagery I made was all still. I haven't gotten to make any in motion yet. I'm making one right now at Red Giant. It's going to be a really cool film team experiment with Lego stuff soon. But um, one of the things I'm trying to figure out is the animation style of Lego movie they did. It, it seems like the camera and like physics all in that movie happen at 24 frames per second. Yeah. But, um, like 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 all films you watch. But the characters, any movement of the characters in animation and uh, are any character animation is it like tw- is on twos and fours. Yeah. And so especially I'm, that I'm like in- water, like the water effects and stuff. Oh, the water effects are so, so cool. So cool. I, um, and my Michael Stark at, um, film riot, uh, a few years ago did a test of a Lego explosion. And it, it's one of the greatest things on the internet, his Lego explosion test on Vimeo. Wow. If you just Google Lego explosion, it'll be one of the first results. And it looks amazing. I think he did it with Houdini. I don't know for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was a fun little gif to make, just kind of experimenting with that. I animated at 24 frames per second, then I just busted it to 12 to 12 frames and got this really great look out of it with no motion blur. And it's fun because motion blur is usually my friend. That's what I use to cover up all my horrible mistakes. And it, on this one, it's fun to keep motion blur off and see yeah. how it looks. And uh, looks great. I'm looking forward to figuring out a process to actually kind of do this in a kind of a, not long form, but longer form than just a gif. Yeah. Just just make Lego Movie three and uh, just release it and just be like yeah yeah this is I, I don't see why what the big deal is I don't know why they won't <laughs> let me just make Lego Movie three um, or or you you could combine it with Star Wars and do a Star Wars Lego Movie and then then you'll be in the clear because it comes one oh, they yeah, do that in one that's you know true. and they do it with a game too but that doesn't stop us from doing it again in Lego yeah, no. four the Force Awakens from again <laughs> that's the, the it's a working title working um the uh the last thing i love about this gif though not to like just psychoanalyze the thing but i realized after making it i was like i really like that this little lego me is hustling like i hope that that yeah. properly represents me in real life um constantly and I'll leave it at that. Yeah. yeah well seth thanks thanks so much for coming on the show yeah thanks buddy this is so fun Animalators is part of the Gradient Podcast Network and created in collaboration between Identity Visuals and Gradient. 
To learn more about the work we're doing at Identity Visuals, check out identityvisuals.com or follow us on Twitter at Identity Visuals. And don't forget to go check out the brand new, just launched website from Gradient, gradient.is. You can also find them on Facebook or follow them on Twitter at gradient.is. That's gradient, D-O-T-I-S. And you can follow us on Twitter at Animalators. Animalators.com is another great website you should check out because there you can see Seth's Animalator and all the other incredible Animalators from previous guests who have been on our podcast. To find out more about Seth, head to his website at sethworley.com or follow him on Twitter at awakeland3d. The theme music to the show was written and produced by Cody Fry. Check out more of his work at codyfry.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, or you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Overcast, Google Play, YouTube, really anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And if you're into this podcast, we'd love for you to leave a review or drop us a note. We always love getting your feedback. And when you leave us a review on iTunes, it helps other animators find this podcast too. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. I can't wait to be back in a couple weeks for another episode of Animalators. Curious conversations from the world of animation. Animation.